and oh, it sounds like everything's happy-go-lucky, uh, but we know Paul's in prison and he's dying. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes there, but it just sort of drops off. And the picture that we often get of Acts is that the church continues, and we're a part of that. So that's sort of the, the picture we've got here. Um, but as I, as I was reflecting and getting ready for this, um, I'm going to break a whole bunch of speaking rules again today. I told Becca, I said we've broken them all before, um, so I'm going to break a few more. And we're going to sort of meander today. I said it's more like a walk. Um, a series of reflections, maybe. So I'm hoping that the Lord has something for you in one of these. Um, I'm just going to trust him on that. Uh, but we're going to sort of meander a little bit today. And uh, I'm going to say that's okay, but yeah, it's breaking the preaching rule. So whatever. I'm going to do it anyway. So in, in reflecting on sort of where we are at Mission Point and, and what today is all about, uh, the, the song from Semisonic keeps coming into my mind. And yeah, I know it's not scripture, but God can use all sorts of things to speak to us. Uh, it's a song called Closing Time, and um, uh, I love this line. I, I, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. I, I've been, that, that line uh, means a lot to me, and, and I know it's supposed to do some circular weird thing, and I'm sure it's some Hindu deal, but whatever. <laughs> I think it's good to reflect that, um, you know, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And, and there is a process that we go through in our lives continually of things that start and things that stop. And somehow uh, we think that that shouldn't happen. And yet it does. <laughs> it, it does all the time. And um, so in thinking about that, thinking about something coming to an end, I wanted to go back to the beginning. And so I was really reflecting a lot on sort of what, what did the Lord call Mission Point to be? What did, what did he ask us to do? And I was brought back to Luke chapter 4, so I'm going to read that a little bit. And Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it to the attendant and sat down. And everyone's eyes were on them. And um, he said to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I think in many ways that this passage undergirds a lot of what the Lord has asked us to do. Um, and I just want to say that um, I, I, think, I think we've done that. And, and I would say well done, good and faithful servant in many of those points. Um, and I think, I think we need to, to hold on to that a little bit. That, that we did proclaim good news to the poor, that we did proclaim freedom to the prisoners, uh, recovery of sight to the blind, maybe we were a little weak on that point, um, but to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the Lord's favor. I think um, not only these things are, are good to do, I think we've done those. Um, and I think, I think we can say um, we did a good job in that. Um, I think sometimes when things come to an end, I'm not good at celebrating. I'm not good at acknowledging good things. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. Um, I think we need to do that. Um, I think we have, we have understood better what it is to be the priesthood of all believers. I, I think we have uh, tried to reimagine what church looks like. I, I think people do look more like Jesus today than when we started in terms of sanctification, in terms of discipleship. Those are good things. I, I, we've sent people all over the place. The, the Lord had a, a, a word early on for Bishop Point as an Antioch church, which meant we were never going to be big. N never going to be big. 
but we were going to be a place that was sending people. Um, and, and I was just reflecting on all the people that were a part of and have, have been sent. And that's amazing. The, the areas of the world, and I, I still say the Twin Cities, the areas of the world that have been impacted because of those that have come through Mission Point, maybe they're only here for a couple weeks, but were sent out again, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. And we can say that that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We literally have had an impact all over the world. I mean, Stephanie's here, so that's your in living color example, but there's others, and, and that's a good thing. I believe, Mission Point, that we have been faithful to the call that the Lord has has given us and, and that in many ways and so far we have been successful. So I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And yet, and yet part of it comes to an end. And it, it's, it's interesting to sort of wrestle with this. Yes, there's success, and yet it comes to an end. And I think there's something very natural about that. So we need to ask now what, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. We, we really need to sit in this tension for a little bit on, on the whole idea of, of things coming to an end. So I've got a whole bunch of observations that I'm going to share with you. And I hope they make sense once I actually say them out loud. Uh, they made great sense to me as I was writing them down. Um, and then I looked at it and I said, wow, these are just sort of random things all over the place. I've tried really hard to put transitions between them. Not good at transitions, but we're going to see how that works. Okay, I was watching, uh, anybody watch Big Bang Theory final finale on Thursday night? No one. <laughs> Not yet. There's 21 million people that watch this stupid show and none of you did? <laughs> okay. You know Big Bang Theory, is anybody remotely familiar with the, the yeah, concept yeah. of the show? Yeah. You've seen it? Okay. So, um, uh, now I'm going to spoil it if you haven't seen it. It's okay. I'm going to spoil it. I don't care. You should have seen it by it. <laughs> um, so Sheldon, the main character of that, is, is so stressed out through the whole show because the, the biggest thing about Sheldon is he hates change, right? He's got a, a bathroom time that starts at whatever it is, 7.05, and he's there until 7.08, and he has the same toothbrush. And, right? His life is very regimented. And the whole show, he, he's, he's having this meltdown because everything around him is changing, and he, he can't deal with it. He can't deal with all of the change. And I was sitting there watching that, and I thought, that is so how many of us live. And we deny it. We, we pretend like we like change, we sort of talk about it, but in reality, we hate it. If we could live our lives regimented that everything happened in a very predictable pattern and happened the, the very same way, I think a lot of us would be overjoyed with that. Now we'd say, well, no, I really like change. We don't. I think so many of us live our lives like Sheldon. And then when, when things start to happen around us, we just melt down. We really do. We melt down because we don't want things to change, and yet everything changes. And sometimes in life, a lot of stuff is all changing at the same time. A lot of stuff happens, and a lot of stuff changes. And, and what I was thinking is, is that, um, well, Sheldon has a quote, and he says, well, I think he's, he's, he says, I think I realized that the only constant in life is change. And I thought, wow, that's, that's profound for Big Bang Theory. I, I think that's scriptural. The only constant in life is change. And I thought that, that speaks to, I think, where probably a lot of us are right now, wrestling with um, this, this 
everything's sort of in motion and everything is moving and we just so want to put a flag in the ground and say stop and that's not going to happen. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I was, I was thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I, I love this chapter. I love the book of Ecclesiastes anyway. I don't know of anybody that does, but whatever. I think it's wonderful. And uh, the writer says this. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die, a time to plant, a time to be uprooted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them up, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. And I just thought all of those transitions in between there drive us absolutely crazy. The tension is when you go from a time of one to the time of the other, it's really hard. It's really hard. And yet, life just doesn't change. I think wrapped in the very definition of life is the word change. Because it's constant, and, and it, it's not going to stop. So I think the first takeaway for us is, is that without change... We really aren't alive. We, we really aren't alive. Dead things don't change. Things that are dead don't change. Things that are living change. My kids bought me a bonsai. Now, because of the weather, I didn't bring it today. I, I really wanted you to see this little bonsai tree. It's beautiful. Actually, if you come Saturday, Sunday, next Sunday, not Saturday, don't come Saturday. <laughs> Sunday. It's Ryan's graduation on Saturday, by the way. So... Um, if you come Sunday, I'll have the bonsai out and you can look at it. And I don't know how many years I've had the bonsai. You laugh at me. The, the thing that this bonsai tree has taught me is if you look at it month to month, you'd say it looks exactly the same as it did before. And yet this little thing constantly changes. When you look at this bonsai every day, you see new leaves and new growth, and then you see leaves that die off, and you see these little flowers that come. This, this little plant is constantly, constantly in motion. Almost day to day, when you look at it, and I, I just, if I could hug the thing, I would. It's a beautiful little plant. It, but it's constantly changing. And, and you know that it's alive because it's constantly moving. It doesn't necessarily grow a lot, but there's constant motion in this thing. And it doesn't stay the same. It never, never stays the same. It never does. Now, I've observed a lot of people, and, and I think sometimes we think we like change, but the truth is we don't. We, we, we really are not comfortable with change. And I think it's okay for us to, um, I, I think it's okay for us to acknowledge that. The other thing I was reflecting on is, it, I was amazed over the, our time together, how much change has happened. And I was thinking of the people that aren't with us anymore for a variety of reasons, in, you know, including death. Um, the, the people that are with us that weren't here at the beginning, including births. <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of change that's going on. I, I was reflecting of, of just where we are in our own lives. I started a new job this week. Um, you know, we've got kids graduating. We've got kids getting married. And, and all of us are experiencing these things in our lives. 
And I thought, well, that's just me. And then I, I was thinking of all the families, and I thought, no, it's not. All of us are doing this. We're, we're, we're experiencing change with our kids and grandkids and job changes and life changes and all this stuff. And I just thought, we are really in this, this constant movement, which I thought is actually healthy. It's actually really healthy for all of us that we're not stagnant in any way. We've got movement in our lives, and we've got change in our lives, which would mean we're living. And I thought, that's, that's awesome. So again, I was, I was reflecting that that's a good thing. Next meandering point, I thought, um, sometimes change is required. So change can't, sometimes change happens to us, right? We're sort of the victim of change. But, but sometimes we actually have to be very intentional about changing. Okay? And I was drawn to this, um, this book I know a lot of you have read. Um, Henry Cloud wrote a book called Necessary Endings. If you've never read it, I recommend it to you. Um, necessary Endings. And, and um, I'll just summarize it. Right? He thinks that things ending is a good thing. Right? You got that out of the title. Um, so it may be obvious. And, and when I first saw the book, I thought, oh, yeah, necessary endings, well, what does he have to say? It's profound what he has to say about how we really need to be intentional about having things come to an end. And we like to be intentional about how things start, but rarely are we intentional about how things come to an end. And, and not only are we not intentional about it, we avoid it like the plague. We, we really don't want anything to end. And, and his point is, is that we need things to end. We actually need things in our lives to end, and it could be a job, it could be an attitude, it could be a relationship, it could be all sorts of stuff that it's vital for us if we're gonna be healthy and if we're gonna be maturing and if we're gonna grow to have things that end. So the second takeaway for us today is that some of us really need to be deliberate and intentional about endings in our lives and about how we end things in a really good and healthy way. And we can do that. And it's, it's freeing, it's profound, it's all sorts of stuff. So I, I leave that with you. So then I thought, well, we don't live in our lives in constant change, because that would be chaos, right? So there are, there are constants in our lives. And, and I was thinking about um, just reflections I've had in my own life about what are these constants, right? Because change is necessary, change is vital for growth, uh, change is essential to be alive, and yet, there are th some things that we're grounded in, right? So even my, my beautiful bonsai is, is rooted and grounded in this just beautiful little container. It doesn't move, right? So as much as the bonsai is changing, there are constants where it's not changing. If you guys don't take care of plants, you need to. There's, there's life lessons in, in watching plants grow and, uh, gee, you're not in your gardening. There are so many life lessons in gardening. You, you gotta do it. anyway. So what are those constants? And, and I was thinking about constants that we, I think, everyone should have in their lives. And, and these are things that we should be grounded in. The first one is that we, we really need to see ourselves a part of something much larger than just us. And um, I think for most people, when you start talking to them, our, our view of eternity really started a couple weeks before we were born. And we really have the expectation that it's going to die probably the day we die, right? We, we really don't have visibility or a sense of things that, that happened before us. Some of us don't even care. 
and, and we have no real sense of the things that are going to come after us. Um, I think a lot of us just hope at our funeral there's this mourning that never ends and you know the world just stops. Um, uh, I was amazed my, um, my aunt died a couple weeks ago, I don't know, was it a month and a half ago, two months ago, I don't know, whatever it was. And we were leaving her funeral and I, and I, w I was struck by this, this sadness and, and you go out to the cemetery, and we say some words as the bells are ringing so we can't hear anything. And you come back and you have this odd lunch together, and then you just move on with your life. So we're going back to our car, I just thought, we just move on with our life. And, and I was struck by this, of sometimes we think that that's not going to happen when we die. And yet, it is. <laughs> Everyone else has to go on with their lives. And, and I think for us to reflect sometimes on that is important. The other thing too is, is all of the stuff that happened before we got here was significant. And that there are, there are people that have done things and have laid foundations for us to stand on. And, and I think sometimes we need to be aware of that. Okay, the point I'm making is that in light of eternity, we're pretty much insignificant. Now, that's not a bad thing, okay? It's just sometimes a just a, a grapple on the reality of who we are. That's not saying you as an individual are not significant, okay? I'm not saying that. But I think sometimes we need to have a reality check that the world doesn't revolve around us. I remember screaming that at my kid one day. I won't tell you which one. That <laughs> um, the world does not revolve around you. And, and I think sometimes we need to have that reality check that, that we are a part of something much larger than us and we are not the center of the universe. Okay, so that's just a, that's just a reality check. And I think we live our lives differently when we, when we realize that we're a part of something much larger than ourselves. We, we, have, we have so much more gratitude for those that have come before us, and we're much more concerned about the foundation that we're laying for those that are gonna come after us. We're, we're thoughtful and more intentional. We're, we're thoughtful and intentional about what the next generation is gonna look like. And if we're leaving a mess, or are we leaving a foundation uh, uh, for them to build upon? What I really hate is this constant dribble about how good things were before and how bad things they are now. I hate that. And, and I think what that tells those that are coming after us is there's no hope. And I just think there's a lot of hope for people that come after us. I, I really do. And, and if we live our lives sort of wringing our hands about how bad things are, well, then maybe we need to do something about it instead of complain. So that's what I leave with you um, on that one. But <clears throat> I think there's... Um, yeah, the, the, the reality is, is that we need to be thinking about those that come after us and, and what foundation are we leaving and, and what example are we setting uh, for those, okay? Um, I think another one of those constants in life is uh, that there's death. And, and I was reflecting on how much of that we've wrestled with as a community since we've been together. And I think it's really important for us to continue to wrestle with that, that life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and we have to face that. We, we really do have to face that it has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. We rejoice at the beginning as we should. Um, we're sort of good at the middle, and then at the end, most of the time we just run away from it. So we need to be good at that um, in terms of, again, one of those constants that we have to wrestle with. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the constants of life. This is one of them we have to wrestle with. I think the truth is, is that Lazarus, you know, who was raised from the dead in this miraculous thing, ends up at Palm Sunday, died. He died. 
I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes we think that. I don't know. Did he live forever? No, he didn't. He he died. So he was raised from the dead, and yet he died. And so there's there's this constant that we need to deal with. The other constant that I think we need to deal with is that God is constant. God is consistent in our lives. So if we're thinking again of, of all this change that's going on, this is one thing that's consistent. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The word of God is constant. God says in the scriptures over and over again, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The presence of God is a constant that we can sit on. In the midst of all the stuff going on and all the change and all the turmoil and this, this, this uh, tension that we experience and growth, well, God is constant in the midst of those. In the midst of those. So I think, um, I think it would be good for us to identify what those constants are in our own lives. So if you feel overwhelmed and, and sort of, I don't know, blown away by, by constant, the things that are constantly moving, I think you need to articulate what those constants are in your life. Write them down. I, I think it's so vital for us to write those things down and know, uh, and know what they are. I've got a, a point of observation here. Anybody watch The Crown? No one watches Big Bang, but we watch The Crown. I don't get that. Okay. All right. So The Crown. I'm, um, honestly, I'm watching it as Sam's at basketball practice. So, I don't know. It takes an hour and I can watch... Netflix for an hour. Anyway, so are we through season two, people? Because I'm going to do a spoiler again. Yeah. Okay, so if you're not watching it, I'm sorry. I'm going to give you a cultural reference here anyway. So there's this there's this scene where Prince Philip, so I'll fit you in on the royal family, the queen. The queen's husband is Prince Philip, okay? Prince Philip is, um, and this is partly true and partly fiction. It's kind of an interesting way they've done this. But anyway. He was a, a prince in Greece, right? Greece in the Netherlands or something like that. And um, he abdicated and gave up everything when he married the queen, right? Because he couldn't be king in both places, so he gave it up and whatever. So he had a, a very rough time with his family. Really rough time. And, and really the only person he related to is his sister, which is a true story. His sister ends up killed in a plane crash. And he goes uh, back to, uh, to her funeral. And... Uh, the relationship with, with him and his dad was tumultuous. Actually, it was horrible. It, it was really bad. And so he shows up at his sister's funeral, and I don't know, he's 13, 14 years old maybe. Um, do you remember this scene? Mm -hmm. So he shows up, and he kind of comes across this room, and his, his father stands up. And there's probably 40, 50 people in this room. And he, he tells his son that it's his fault that his sister is dead because... He encouraged her to fly. And, and he has his son removed from the room. So kid's 13 years old. He's grieving because his sister has died. And his father just berates him in front of all these people and sends him off. So Philip is going to go get on a plane and go back to boarding school. And the guy that's sort of his handler, I don't know if it's security, I don't know, whatever, takes him and says, you're mad. And he goes, oh, yeah, he's mad. I mean, Philip is distraught because his father just berated him. And, and this guy, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, he says, hopefully you live long enough to do the same thing to your son. And he said, you have to realize that often, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this, oftentimes parents try as hard as they will, and they really mess up. They really mess up. And it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be mad. But 
we all make mistakes and we, we all hurt each other. That was in essence what he said. And, and what I was thinking on this is, is constants in our lives, so often we, we adhere ourselves to people. And I think what we have to realize is that people will let us down. People will let us down. They will let us down. And, and so if, if one of those constants is your life, constant things in your life, if one of those rocks in your life is a person, that's a precarious position to be in. And, and I've talked to so many people whose lives have been blown up because uh, they, they put some person up on a pedestal and, and then their world gets rocked when that person does something or says something or, or whatever. I just caution us. When we, when we say one of those constants in our lives is a person, just know they're going to let you down. And I think we have to face the reality of that. And it's not pacifying what they did. It's not doing any of that. But it's, it's, it's really understanding that a person is not God. It's not Jesus. Right? And, and it's okay when that happens. Um, and, and I think the inverse is also true, that if you've done that for somebody else, or if you've, if you've experienced that in your lives, I think there's a word of, of uh, forgiveness that needs to be said. If, if you've been burned by somebody for that, um, I don't know, there could have been a whole lot of reasons and things going on in their lives. Um, I wouldn't carry that with you the rest of your life. I, I think that was the lesson that this guy was trying to give Philip was, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, but that's what people do to each other. So if one of those constants in your life is a person, just uh, be careful. All right, so the only real constant is God in our lives. And, and I think when we hold on to things, they need to be things that God has given us. And, and I, I think you need to remember those things that God has told you, either about you or your life situation or who you are or those things. Because God is constant, and the things that God's promised are going to be constant. Are you with me on that? All right, so again, when you come over to this party on Sunday, uh, in my... In my, um, I don't know, I moved it. It's in the landscaping. There's a rock. There's a rock in the landscaping. And um, it was raining this morning, so I didn't haul it over here. But I was going to bring it over here so you can see it. But you can see it. So, <laughs> so this rock in my yard I, is, is from, I think it's the first message I actually gave. And it's, it's the rock that reminds me that I'm a pastor. And, and every time I mow my lawn or walk around in the yard, I see this thing. And it, it's the touch point I have to, I think, one of these promises that, that God gave me. So when the world's turned upside down and, I don't know, mission point ends and people go, oh, you're not speaking anymore. And I go, I don't, I don't have anything scheduled other than my daughter's wedding. But no, I, yeah, you're right, I don't. I can look to that rock and I can go, well, that's a promise that God gave me. And I don't know how it's going to work out. And I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, but my world doesn't have to be shaken because there's change. I can look to that thing and I can go, yep, God gave me a promise. That's my reminder. Right back in Joshua, the rocks come. Remember this? We went through that twice, I think. The rocks piled up, and that's a reminder to remind me. And if you come over and ask me what the rock is, I'll tell you what it is. But it's to remind me, it doesn't matter what else is going on, that that's something that, that I can stand on and I can remind uh, myself about. All right. All right, a couple other things for us to remember. Holy cow, I've got a lot yet. Let's speed this up. All right, things for us to remember. The biggest thing for us to remember, I think, as we, as we leave here, is that we've survived a cultural earthquake. And I'm not going to give you the church is dead message, but we, we've lived through a cultural earthquake. Our culture has been shaken to the very core. We need to remember that as we leave this place. We need to remember that things that were true are no longer true. They're not. 
They're very different. Places that, that we used to go to are gone. Our old maps for understanding the world and understanding the world in which we live don't work anymore. They do not work anymore. I'm part of Generation X, so we're the first generation, a lot of us, right, that were first to be raised on TV. We're the first generation where the majority have grown up with an absent or divorced parents. I, I was thinking through that of all of my friends that, that have divorced families. And I go, we were the first generation to survive that. Right? That, that has major impacts on how we live and how we think. We're the first generation to, with, to grow up with a consistent flow of technology. So I know everybody else that's younger than me goes, oh, it's always been here. And I go, well, but we were the first to actually live through that. And, and that has a profound impact on us. We're the, the generation that, yeah, that's it. Okay, so Generation Y, that's a lot of you guys, right? The, the delaying the adult, adulthood the longest. So there's this, there's this major delay of, uh, and a lengthening of adolescence that happens. That's a profound impact on our culture. We tend to live longer with our parents in this age group. It's the first age group that actually has marriage rates declining, which you get is, has a profound impact on, on our culture. Not good or bad, it just, it's just is what it is. This is the first group that's least likely to practice organized religion, which I find fascinating. There's someone who won't be named that posts on Facebook, sort of this hand-wringing of, of why kids don't go to church anymore. And I go, well, I think we need to face the reality of that. Now, we can wring our hands and say we should drag our kids to church, but you go, there's, there's a fundamental shift and a fundamental change that has happened that's causing people not to go to church. And instead of maybe saying, oh, this is horrible and we're all going to hell in a handbasket, maybe we have to stand back and go, what's, what's happening and, and what does it mean? So... We need to think about that too, cultural earthquake. Um, I love this one. In, in 2007, 97% of Gen Y people owned a computer. I mean, I, that's, that has a profound change on life. It, it really does. And 94% owns a cell phone. I, I would think that it'd have to be 100% by now. Do you know anybody that doesn't own a cell phone? In Gen Y particularly. I don't know a single one that doesn't. Right, it's probably 100%. That's a profound impact on our culture and who we are and how we work and how we interact. So we've experienced this cultural earthquake and, and old ways of doing things don't work anymore. And again, lamenting the past and lamenting uh, that we need to go back isn't an option. It's not an option. So what our, our questions need to be around, how do, we, how do we move forward? All the research says that God and Jesus are not the problem in this generation, it's the church. People, it's not that people don't like God or Jesus. People love God and Jesus. They just, they're just not interested in, in this, this cultural remnant of the church. Okay? So Christendom is dead. I'm not saying the church is dead, but, but Christendom is dead. The, the system that's been set up to support the church culturally is, is crumbled at best. It's crumbled at best. So, today's not a history lesson, but I still think that, and I still believe that it's, it's God's plan to save the world through, obviously through Jesus, but through the church. Right? So my question for us really, and, and I, I want us to leave today still wrestling with this question of what is the church? And, and the church expressed in Christendom is gone. It, it, it fell apart. It, it doesn't exist anymore. The idea of the church being interwoven with a, a political and a cultural system has, has diluted what the church was about. And it, it, it became a, 
a, a power system, and it became a, a basically became a governmental system. And that that what you're seeing is a generation today that recognizes that and and, and says then the church is not valid. The church, right, as the established church. So what do we need to what do we need to be thinking about um, if the church as an institution is dead? What what does it mean for us? And what does it mean as we as we go forward? I'd say that the, the church as an institution is dead, but the church as the body of Christ, which I think is the biblical answer for what the church is, is very much alive. And, and not only is it very much alive, it's needed, and it's actually desired by the world. The world is not averse to God and Jesus. The world's averse to this institution uh, that's not the church. And, and so what I... What I I think the Lord has called us to do, and I, so I call you to do that as well, is to continue to be the church. Continue uh, to be the church. Even if we're not here on Sunday morning, it doesn't mean that we're, not, uh, that we're not the church. I think we need to remember today, what is the church? The church is not a building. So the, the New Testament word for church was ecclesia, which is really interesting in the, in the etymology of the word. The word, is, um, the word means now really the, the ones that have been called out, but... The term used to be exclusively used for political assemblies, which I thought was interesting. And it's not just people gathered, but it's people gathered intentionally to do something. That's what ecclesia means. And, and so the word has been transferred to represent the church, which is really interesting because it's the gathered body of Christ gathered with an intention and a purpose. That's what, that's what the ecclesia is. That's what the, that's what the church is. So I would say that, that we are still called to be the church, the gathered body of Christ. It's not a place. It's not a destination. It's not something you go to. Right? That's all the, the institutional things that we've created that aren't the church. What we have to think about is that we are the church. When we are gathered together, to believers, we are the church. When, the, when we are doing things that extend the kingdom of God, that's about being the church. And that's what, we're, that's what we're called to be about, and that's what we're called to do, is to, is to be the church and to be the body of Christ. All right, so I wanted to recap <coughs> things that we've been over, and I'm going to do this very quickly. I think there's eight. Yes, look at that, I even did the eight. There's eight things that we continually bring up, and I want to leave you with these eight things. Um, I want you to, to think about these. I, I'd love you to internalize these eight things because I think these eight things live beyond uh, us gathering on Sunday morning. I think these are the eight things. These are the eight values. These are the, the whatever you want to call them, um, expressions of the church, expressions of mission point that we are still called to live out in our own lives. Okay, so if we're not gathered here on Sunday, these are still expressions uh, that need to happen. First, is each of us is uniquely created in the image of God, and each of us has a unique expression of that. It's, it's vital for us to understand that we, as individuals, are the church, that we are the body of Christ. None of us get to opt out and sit in the back row and sort of say, I'm an observer, because that's not the church. We, we actually all have a unique call uh, uh, called to participate in being the body of Christ. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. And, and then that happens wherever we are. Point number two, low weight, or yeah, lightweight and low maintenance. We need to be flexible and agile so that we can move when and when the Lord, where and when the Lord asks us to. So we need to be really careful about how much stuff we carry with us. 
We need to be really careful about what we're building um, so that we are agile and that we're low maintenance. Three, our priority needs to be that the kingdom of God is expanded. That, that's huge. Our priority is to see that the kingdom of God is, ex is expanded. It's not about programmatic, although the God can use programmatic things. Um, it's, it's not about institutions and establishments and organizations, although God can use those things. We need to make sure that our priority is seeing that the kingdom of God is extended. And, and if we're not extending the kingdom of God in those things anymore, or maybe the Lord's asked us to not do those things anymore, we need to be okay with that. We really need to be okay with that. And to think about not building an earthly kingdom, but building a, a kingdom of God and expanding that. All right, number four, limiting expenses on inside things and maximizing resources available for missional things. I, I think we need to be careful about our time and our energy being spent on maintaining an institution. About maintaining an institution. Now, institutions aren't necessarily bad, but I think when we get over, overly concerned with institution, we forget about the kingdom of God very quickly. We, we really do, and we need to be thinking about that. Um, five, the priesthood of believers. There are no classes of believers and not professional Christians. Christendom, <laughs> this is my chief complaint about Christendom. Christendom established professional Christians and told everybody else that they're not qualified. That's what Christendom did. I think it's a, it's a huge tragedy. Huge tragedy. And it, I'm just going to say it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Christendom established a, a professional religious and then commoners. And, and, and they, they, they held these things and said, you can't do this as a commoner. It's a lie. You can do it. You can do it. You absolutely can do it. And, and you are, I'm going to quote from Peter here, 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, you are living stones, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You are living stones being built into a spiritual household to be a holy priesthood. That's you. So there isn't a professional class. Now, there's different things that all of us do, fine, but, but you're not disqualified in any way um, because of who you are. So we need to remember that. Um, six, keeping personal finances focused on kingdom things and being generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We can do that. We can do that. We can be generous people. Seven, Jesus is king, not a person. So remember my thing about setting up people and we set up constants in our lives and then we find a person and we establish them as king of our lives? They're going to let us down. Jesus isn't. So as long as Jesus stays as your king, right, and you, and you look at and model your life after that king, you're going to be good. But when we, when we do other things, we're going to get in, in trouble. And then number eight is entrepreneurial rather, entrepreneurial rather than a franchise. So I think it's good at looking what other people do. Look at what other Christians do. Look at how the kingdom of God is expanding in other ways. I just be careful about trying to cookie cutter that into your life. May or may not work. It might. It might work. That's a franchise. Right? If I look at you and I copy what Becca's doing, I may or may not be successful with that. Now, I can learn with what Becca's doing, and then I can ask the Lord, how do I adopt that into my own life? Right? That, that's being entrepreneurial. In, in thinking about how is the kingdom of God extended through my life and in, in how I'm uniquely made and how I'm uniquely gifted and what the, God, what the Lord has called me to do. Okay, so that's, that's entrepreneurial uh, rather than franchised. And I went too long, but... All right, so that's what I'm going to leave you with. Now, I, I think it's good to remember things. So I brought a bucket of rocks. <coughs> you don't have to take one. Although I'm going to encourage you to take one, and if you don't like it, then... Put it in your yard later. <laughs> so, 
I got a bucket of rocks. And I, I got them from Home Depot, which I thought, I don't know, I didn't go out to the Mississippi River and gather them. I got them at Home Depot, and I thought, well, that's actually maybe prophetic. <laughs> that, that we're called to be in the Home Depots of the world. Not off in, I don't know, what, what do they call those, um, uh, what are the people that live in tents off by themselves? No man. Hermitage. Yeah, like a hermitage. Yeah, that, that's what I felt like a river was. It was sort of this, this separate thing, and we cloister ourselves up in the, and I thought, no, 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 actually the Lord's called us to be in the home depots of the world, interacting with people. Um, that, that's what he's called us to be. So I invite you to take a rock, so that when you see that rock, you think about your experience here at Mission Point, and you don't forget this. That you don't forget this. When you, when you doubt that you're called to be uh, a part of the kingdom of God, you look at that rock and you go, nope, I'm still, I'm still called to be a part of the kingdom of God. I, I'm, I'm called to be one sent. I've been called by the living God to extend his kingdom everywhere that I go. That's what that rock is going to show you. And when you get really frustrated and, and life is chaotic, that rock will remind you that, no, I'm looking to the rock, which is Jesus. That, that's my foundation. That's what I'm going to go back to. And yes, life is going to be chaotic. It's going to be changing. It's going to be constant motion. But, but there's my rock. It's Jesus, right? And that, that this experiment of mission point has changed you. And you can look at that and you can go, yep, I've been changed. And, and that means that I'm going to live my life differently all the time. Okay, so that rock is supposed to remind you of that. And I hope it does. I, I hope you have it beside your bed or in your yard or wherever you run into this thing on a regular basis. That, that you never forget. You, you don't ex forget this experience that we've had, this, this experiment that we've been on, and that it, it's not ending. And that, that your life really is the X29, X30, X31, X32, whatever it is. I don't know what chapter we're on by now. Um, that, that you're a part of that and a part of God's movement and, and God's kingdom. So get up and get one of those. Um, and then, actually, let me bless you first. I love this passage out of Second Corinthians. Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. And that was fitting for us. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.